Hello, hola, and konnichiwa. I am your host, Daniel Gubby Freeland, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the curtain jerkers. Of course, I'm talking about those fighting in the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. This weekend is the very exciting UFC 271 headline by Israel Adesanya and Robert Whitaker. Although we, of course, will not be breaking down that fight or any of the other exciting fights on this main card because this is the prelim primer where we only break down the prelim portion of the show. Now, for those of you who are new to the show and wondering, why just the prelims? Why are we only breaking down the early part of the card and not the very exciting main event or co-main event or other fights on this pay-per-view? The answer is really simple. We know that you probably have a place where you go for those breakdowns, and we know that you probably also know who, you know, Israel Desanya and Robert Whitaker and Derek Lewis and Ty Tuivasa, you know who those guys are. But you probably don't know a lot of the names on these prelims, and that's why we're here to give you a little insight, whether you're doing some gambling or playing some daily fantasy sports, or hey, maybe you just want to win that pick'em contest. And before we get started breaking down these fights, we did want to let you know that this episode of the Prelim Primer is brought to you by the All-Star app. These days there are more previews, recaps, and analysis and podcasts than you can shake a stick at. It's all too much, and when you're looking to get that insight to give you an edge, it can be hard to block up the noise from what really matters. And that's why you should download the All-Star app, because they provide you with expert commentary from some of the most respected names in the sports world, and all of their incredible content is packaged into an intuitive, fully interactive app right there in the palm of your hands, 100% free. And there's lots of other great features to the All-Star app. I'll let you know about them later on. But for right now, just go to the All-Star app in either the Google Play Store, the App Store, or by visiting theallstar.io. Now, to break down these fights with me, I am joined once again by a frequent co-host of the show. Joining me today, you may know him from the Fix Fights podcast with Kurt and Ben or his writings on Grappling Insider. I, of course, am talking about Benjamin Abrigo. Benjamin, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, man. Always a pleasure. All right, and as you guys know, we start each and every round by putting five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Andre the Pitbull Arlovsky versus Jared Vandera. So Arlovsky sneakily has back-to-back wins over Chase Sherman and Carlos Felipe, both of those by unanimous decision. And he's actually won by unanimous decision four out of the last five fights. Vandera, meanwhile, one and two in the UFC. He last lost to Alexander Romanov by ground and pound. That was back in October. So my question for you here to start it off is Arlovsky seems to be dealing very well with anybody who just lets him fight this new patient style who doesn't press him too much and kind of just lets him pick them apart. Do you think Vandera is going to oblige him in this style and is it going to be his undoing? I don't think so. I think I think you bring up a really good point. I'm going to spoil my pick at the top here. I think Arlovsky wins this fight, but I actually think Vandera might get after him early or try to at least. Um, But, you know, just because we've seen Vandera when he's not fighting a guy like Alexander Romanov, he does for a heavyweight, at least put a pace on guys. Um, But you look at Andre Arlovsky's recent run, jiggly middle of the road heavyweights are his strike zone right now (laughs) and it's hard for me to pick against him against another jiggly kind of no disrespect to jared vandera middle of the road heavyweight and i do think vandera is obviously he's real big and like i said when he's not fighting like a super dangerous wrestler he does kind of put a pace on guys but this just seems like you know they are giving andre arlovsky similar fighter after similar fighter after similar fighter and he is just eating them up with unanimous decision after unanimous decision Yeah, I I agree with you entirely. He seems like the type of guy who is out there to sort of shed the guys who are like Jared Vandera and 
are just like, like you said, I don't want to call them jiggly, but jiggly heavyweights <laughs> who, uh, you know, can box a little bit, but can't box enough to take out a guy like Arlovsky. And he's weeding those out and letting the Tom Aspinall's buy, which is, I mean, pretty much what he's built to do in the UFC. So yeah, I'm going to ride with your pick. I'm going to take Andre Arlovsky. Do you think he wins it by decision again? It's got to be decision. Unanimous decision king. I'm going to go the exact same thing. And that brings us to our next fight with another veteran of the sport. And that's Roxanne Matafari versus Casey O'Neill. Matafari, two straight losses to Viviara Ruyo and Talia Santos. This is her retirement fight, according to her. Uh, although it's MMA retirements, she seems a little bit more legit. So, um, mm-hmm. And Casey O'Neill, 3-0 in the UFC, all finishes. She last beat Antonina Shevchenko by ground and pound back in October. So... But my question for you is Roxy, especially in those last two fights, seems to have issue with people who are physically stronger than her, even if she's able to like get her like technical body locks and set them up. When that person is stronger than her, she doesn't seem to have much of an answer for that. So my question for you is, does she have what it takes to sort of do the Macy Barber treatment to Casey O'Neill or is Casey O'Neill just too damn strong and too damn good, similar to Arroyo and Santos? Yeah, I think Casey O'Neill is is too good. Um, and I honestly, when I was looking at this fight, I initially thought, you know what, this this I should cir- circle Roxanne Modafferi here as a potential underdog, um, especially because Casey O'Neill does so much good work on the ground, getting the fight to the mat. Um, and I think Roxanne might be able to nullify a lot of Casey O'Neill's offense, especially early. Uh, but the issue that you bring up is what can Roxanne Modafferi do to Casey O'Neill? Um, you know, maybe if Modafferi sweeps or gets on top and is able to kind of work uh, control from top, she might have a path to victory there. But offensively, I don't think Modafferi is potent enough to really put the hurt on Casey O'Neill. The flip side, Casey O'Neill, super, super mean, super physical, super aggressive. Um, I think Modafferi has a technical edge here, as she does probably over the vast majority of fighters in in terms of grappling. Uh, but I think O'Neill is just a little too much too young um and too physical i think that's that's the main point here of this fight yeah and i agree with you on that one i'm also going to take casey o'neill I, I think the big issue here is that she's close enough in the technique to to nullify like you said the, the things that roxanne's going to do grappling like could mm-hmm. roxanne get her down for sure is casey's jujitsu good enough to get her back up i also think sure and at a certain point Roxy's going to wear down because she is much older than Casey O'Neill. And and I don't think she's going to win any kind of exchanges on the feet. And I actually think as she slows down, you know, you lose your technique to an extent as you start to gas out. And I I think that's going to be her undoing late in the fight here. So I'm actually going to go with Casey O'Neill. I'd say she gets a late finish third round finish here for Casey O'Neill. How about you? I like to see Montefiore go out not getting finished. I'm saying Casey O'Neill by unanimous decision. Maybe even Roxy gets an early round or a middle round getting a good position on the mat. All right. And that brings us to our last fight of the first round, which is Alex Perez versus Matt Schnell. So Alex Perez actually last fought for the UFC title at UFC 255. He's had a couple of fights canceled since then. Of course, that was a November 2020 and a loss to Davison Figueredo by submission. Matt Schnell, meanwhile, one and two in his last three fights. He's coming up a loss to Rogerio Bontarin by unanimous decision that fight in May. So my question for you, Alex Perez, really strong wrestler, but he got caught in that submission in his last fight. Matt Schnell, meanwhile, seems to have leaned on his boxing as of late, but is good at jujitsu, and, and most of his recent wins have come off of his back with his jujitsu. So do you think Perez is smart in this fight to take it to the grappling? And if he is, can he control Matt Schnell that way? Um, you know, I think Perez is going to play a smart fight here. I do think he will take it to the might. 
to the mat, excuse me, um, but only in bursts. I don't think that needs to be the basis of all of Alex Perez's approach to this fight. I think Perez can kick Matt Schnell's legs on the feet. I think, um, and you do bring up a good point, Matt Schnell has been leaning on his boxing a little bit. And sometimes in the pocket, he does look really crisp with his hands. Um, but Alex Perez, a bit of a can do it everywhere type of fighter. And I think that's really going to carry him through this fight. Um, I think he can, like I said, kick on the feet, land shots on the feet against Matt Schnell. And then when he needs to take it to the mat, you're right. Matt Schnell is dangerous off of his back, has a great like guillotine to triangle setup that he just loves to use. Um, that said, I think Alex Perez is just too good of a grappler and too well-schooled to get caught in something inside Matt Schnell's guard. So I like, I like Alex Perez here just being the more physical and more kind of dynamic fighter. And I agree with you entirely about him not needing to go to the grappling early. I think he can hold his own and possibly even win this fight directly on the feet. But I think putting that, instilling that fear that he might get taken down a couple of times, I think that's enough for him to gain an additional advantage on the feet and probably to win some rounds. It, you know, he gets that takedown with a minute and a half in the first round. It's not like he's a complacent guy when he gets on top. He does do work. He does try to pass. He does land some shots. So I think that's enough both to win rounds and to put that fear in Schnell, Schnell that that's going to happen in the second round. That's going to happen in the third round. And it opens up the striking. I agree with you entirely. I'm going to take Alex Perez here by unanimous decision. And that's going to do it for the end of our first round. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with round number two. All right, guys, one of my favorite features of the All-Star app. It's got to be the player bios. Say you're looking to do a little research on an upcoming fight between, I don't know, Derek Lewis and Tai Tuivasa. Well, you're going to click on that fight, which is super easy to find in their scores tab, and you're not only going to get when the fight's happening, but you're also going to get all the line changes, the opening and current lines for both fighters and the opening and current lines for the over and unders, the totals. So you get all that information in one neat, nice little place, and that's really helpful if you're betting because you know not just where the sharp money is coming in, but you know where those lines started and ended, how much of that sharp money is coming in in different places. But it's even more than just betting lines. They got full records dating back to each fighter's pro debuts and so much more. And not just for MMA, for all kinds of sports. So make sure that you go download the All-Star app in the Google Play Store, the App Store, or by visiting theallstar.io. And we are back with round number two. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about William Knight versus Maxim Grishin. So William Knight, 3-1 and one in the UFC. He's coming off that unanimous decision win over Alonzo Menafield back in December. Grishin, meanwhile, 1-2 and two in the UFC. He's coming off a unanimous decision loss to Dustin Jacoby. That was in February of 2021, so almost a full year off. Now, I got to ask you, Thick Willie here. It's just he, the dude just powers out of shit, right? Like, and including against Alonzo Menafield, he just says, "No, you're not going to do that to me," and he stands up or he pushes himself off the cage. Is he the kind of guy who's going to do that to Maxim Grishin? Sorry, my dogs are barking up a storm. <laughs> um, you know what, man? I've I've talked about Thick Willie on this show, I think at least twice before. Um, and I always want to pick against him because, like you said, he powers out of everything. He's not the most technical fighter, especially on the ground. But after watching some more Thick Willie fights, after watching Maxine, Maxime Grisham fight, every instinct in, in me tells me, go with the more technical grappler, go with Grisham, go with the bigger, the taller guy. But man... Grishin is kind of slow on the feet. He's relatively hittable. Um, and Thick Willie is going to be throwing at least four or five every single round, like absolute haymaker atomic bombs. 
I see him landing one of those. Um, and against my better judgment, I'm going with with uh, William Knight here by a surprise knockout. Yeah, I think this is the because uh, you're right. We definitely have talked about him all the time. I don't think he's ever been on a main card. So I'm pretty sure all four of those <laughs> those fights, he's uh, he's been somebody I've had to break down. And I'm pretty sure I've never picked William Knight in a fight. I, I think that that's a true statement because I just constantly doubt his ability to grapple um, and his ability to just continue doing this to people. Maybe I thought he'd do it against Fabio Chiron, but like I didn't think he would continue to do it against guys like Alonzo Menafield. It's so crazy to me. And I'm with you on this one. I'm going with the same pick as you again here. I think he he lands the big bomb, and we see him move to four and one in the most ridiculous way possible. Uh, and that's by, I'll say, early knockout too. I, I think he gets it done in the first. And that's going to bring us to the second fight of this uh, round, which is Mana Martinez versus Ronnie Lawrence. Uh, Mana Martinez, one and zero in the UFC. He beat Guido Canetti by split decision in his August debut. Lawrence, meanwhile, one and zero in the UFC. He beat Vince Cachero in his February 2021 debut. So that means he has been out for almost a whole year, but he won that fight by ground and pound, not by split decision. So with these guys, a couple of prospects who are just 1-0, both seem to prefer to wrestle and grapple here. Neither guy has looked particularly polished on the feet. If this does just turn into a scrambling grappling match, who do you like in this one? Um, I do think it does turn into a, a scrambling and grappling match, and I love Ronnie Lawrence here. This is one of the reasons why I love doing this show. This guy doesn't have a, a very deep uh, strength of schedule so far, at least. But, man, his last fight, his first fight in the UFC, I should say, Ronnie Lawrence is is a bit of a savage. Um, he grapples at a super, super high pace, super aggressive. It's, I love that he tr looks to pass the guard, to get to the back, to get to mount. Um, Mana Martinez, on the flip side, didn't impress me a ton against a 41-year-old Guido Canetti in his UFC debut. Um, that's not to say he's not dangerous, and I think he is maybe a little bit more dangerous on the feet than Ronnie Lawrence, but Ronnie Lawrence is a guy that, if the UFC brings him along correctly, I think has has a bright future just based on the tenacity of his grappling. And, and I think you're right in that they are bringing him along correctly right now because this, this is the right kind of opponent for him at this point because you're right. His strength of schedule has been pretty bad. You know, Vince Cachero, I, I don't think he's still in the UFC. He, if you watched his win on the Contender Series, he beat Jose Johnson, who's a regional guy who notoriously has had lots of trouble defending grappling. So, like, this is a step up in Mana Martinez, a guy who, like you said, had trouble with Guido Canetti, but at the same time is going to want to fight the same kind of fight as, as Ronnie Lawrence does, and it's not going to play out well for him because he's just— you know, he's not as tenacious. We saw him get taken down a little bit in the, the contender series fight he had with Draco Rodriguez. Um, yeah, so I, I like Ronnie Lawrence here. I think he gets it done. I, I do think Mono Martinez is probably tough enough not to get TKO'd or, or subbed here. So I'm going to take him by decision. How about you? I'm actually going to go Ronnie Lawrence by submission. I think he gets on the back at some point And after just wearing down Mono Martinez, sinks in a choke. All right, and that brings us to our last fight of the second round, which is Alexander Hernandez versus Hanado Moicano. Hernandez has alternated wins and losses for his last seven fights. He's coming off a win where he knocked out Mike Breeden uh, back in October. Moicano, meanwhile, is coming off a rear naked choke win over Jai Herbert. That fight was back in June. So uh, my question for you here, I, I feel like this almost seems like a fight where Hanado Moicano could grapple and, and could probably win, but he's also a guy who sometimes falls a little bit too much in love with his striking and stands and trades with people for too long. Hernandez is a guy who clearly wants that kind of fight. Do you think Hanato Moicano obliges him in it? And how bad of an idea might that be? 
See, I actually think um, Moicano might oblige Hernandez on the feet, but I think that's actually going to favor Moicano, to be totally honest. I know Moicano's, you know, chin is maybe a little suspect at this point, but, you know, no shame in getting knocked out, you know, by Jose Aldo, by Korean Zombie, by Rafael <laughs> Fiziev. Alexander Hernandez, I don't think is particularly, he's powerful, but I don't think he's particularly fast as a lightweight. Um, so I think even on the feet, Moicano edges it ever so slightly. He's a little bit more clean of a striker granted less one punch one one strike power uh but i think you also bring up a great point i think moicano might not be able to out wrestle hernandez but anytime they are touching in the clinch or on the mat whether they are grappling in any way i think moicano has a big advantage there people forget that he's really a jujitsu guy at his core so um i'm rolling with moicano here I know there's questions about his chin and maybe his physicality, but skill-wise, I think he's uh, levels above Alexander Hernandez. Yeah, and I think the only reason we have questions about that that portion of his game is because of those fights you're talking about, because of Jose Aldo, because of Korean Zombie, because of Rafael Fiziev, which are insane fights to like draw conclusions on guys from, because <laughs> the, the, they're like the highest level dudes in the sport. So uh, yeah, I, I'm going to go with Moicano here. I actually think there's a high likelihood that as long as he survives those early onslaughts on the feet, Hernandez messes up and gets taken down once because, you know, while he's maybe not the, the most technical wrestler and, you know, Hernandez is is a big, strong guy, we've seen Alexander Hernandez get taken down by, like, I, I, I mean, he got taken by, down by Cowboy Cerrone. Like, I definitely think Hanato Moicano can get him down, too. And Moicano's better at jiu-jitsu at this point in his career. So I'm going to take Moicano. I say he gets the sub, too. How about you? I like Moicano by decision, but I think this is a really fun fight. Absolutely. And that's going to do it for the end of our second round. We got four more fights for you in the third round. So stay tuned after a quick break. All right, guys, I wanted to gush about one other thing that I really love about the All-Star app, and that's their news feed. If you're the type of person who gets your news from social media, especially your sports news, stop doing that. Start reading the All-Star app because they use a proprietary algorithm that only brings you the highest quality sports news. Plus, you can personalize your feed so that you only get the news that you care about in one nice, neat little spot. And if that sounds like something that you'd like, and I'm guessing it is, go download the All-Star app in either the Google Play Store, the App Store, or by visiting theallstar.io. And we are back with round number three. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Carlos Alberg versus Fabio Charant. So Alberg got a contract on the Contender Series, but immediately lost his UFC debut in an insane fight to Kennedy Zuchuku. That was back in March uh, of last year. Fabio Charant, 0-2 in the UFC. He lost to Volonzo Menafield by Von Fluchoke in the aforementioned Thick Willie by KO, the latter of which was in October, or uh, August, rather. So for me, this is a striker versus grappler matchup, as clear as can be. So the question then just becomes, can Sherratt get this to the mat fast enough, avoid the blows, and uh, get it done with his grappling? I don't think so. <laughs> um, I do, you know, my initial read was striker versus grappler, both guys with not a ton of MMA experience, just always lean with the grappler, but... And granted, also Carlos Ulberg, huge red flag in his UFC debut in the he like totally fell apart when Kennedy and Juku would not go away. Uh, I don't think Fabio Charant is that guy who will not go away. He's been finished in all three of his losses, I believe. Yeah. Um, so and Fabio Charant is also a guy who has good MMA grappling, good front chokes, things like that. But he is not a powerful wrestler. You got to think 
hopefully Carlos Olberg has pushed through those red flags of his first UFC debut, can take his foot off the gas a little bit and and show some patience on the feet. So I'm riding with Olberg here. Yeah, I'm running with Olberg, too. It's exactly what you said. I don't think he's the type of person who survives those onslaughts like Kennedy Zuchuku, who who has done that multiple times. Kennedy Zuchuku went out and beat Danilo Marquez that way, too, except survives some crazy grappling. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to ride with Olberg, too. I'm saying he gets it done with a knockout. And that brings us to our second fight, which is A.J. Dobson versus Jacob Malkoon. So, Dobson, 6-0, and making his UFC debut. He got his... Con- tender series contract back in September with a rear naked choke victory. Malkin, meanwhile, one and one in the UFC. He won a unanimous decision over Abdul Razak Al-Hassan after getting knocked out crazy fast in his first fight. Um, the win over Al-Hassan was back in April. So Dobson coming off of the contender series, a little bit of an unknown with not a deep record, although Malkin doesn't really either. What can you tell us about what Dobson can do in the UFC? Um, you know, I think he has a pretty high ceiling. He's obviously super athletic, but he is still pretty raw at this point. I think he generally fancies himself a grappler, but, you know, that contender series fight, you saw him go and kind of bananas on the feet. Um, I like Malkoon here just ever so slightly. Neither guy is particularly experienced, especially by UFC standards. But we, what we've seen out of Malkoon outside of that one 18 second knockout loss his fight against Abdul Razak Al-Hassan showed that he could stick to a game plan consistently against a really physical, dangerous guy. I think A.J. Dobson has better grappling probably than Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. I'm not entirely sure on that, but um, I think Malkoon might be a little bit more conservative here against Dobson, but he's I'm, I'm leaning with a guy who we've seen more of at a higher level, basically. Yeah, and I think Malkin, his grappling is even like a little bit underrated. Uh, I, I know we we didn't get a chance to see it in that first fight. In the second fight, it looked really good. You know, like he he controlled Alassane pretty easily. It's worth noting he's an Abu Dhabi qualifier, which I, I found out researching. Oh, wow. Now, yeah, he he won an Oceanic uh, qualifier, which I don't I don't know how deep those tournaments are, but like, <laughs> he he qualified, which is more than most of us could say. So, um, you know, like that's worth noting too that he's got some high level grappling experience. I think, yeah, I, I'm leaning with him ever so slightly. I'll take him by decision here. Uh, you got a by decision as well? Yeah, close fight. All right. And that brings us to our next one, which is Douglas Silva D'Andrade versus Sergey Morozov. So D'Andrade alternated wins and losses for seven straight fights, including knocking out Gaetano Perello back in October. Uh, Morozov, one and one in his UFC career. He dropped his debut, but then took a unanimous decision victory over Khalid Taha. That was back in July. So Morozov, if you've looked at his record, I mean, like the fights where he gets takedowns, he wins. The fights where he doesn't, he he doesn't. Um, and that goes all the way back to his M1 Global days. Do you think he could take that kind of fight to Douglas Silva D'Andrage? I do. I, I think we're going to see D'Andrage's age here a little bit, 36, I believe. Um, I see Morozov maybe running into some issues early, but... He's going to he's going to put uh, Dandraj against the fence, get a body lock, and I think get him down a bunch here. I think the body lock from from Morozov is just too much to handle. He is a very good chain wrestler once he gets the grappling started um, and as dangerous and as experienced as Andraj is. I don't think he's going to have enough physical tools to deal with that. Yeah, and, and the the fight that's the easiest to use to break down this fight for me is the Lerone Murphy fight. And and granted, Lerone Murphy's looked really good since he beat um, Douglas Silva de Andrade in other fights as well. But in that fight, it looked like Douglas Silva de Andrade was aging. He looked like he was no longer the fighter he used to be. 
sure he comes out and beats a short notice newcomer in his next fight by like quick knockout. But I, I don't think that that's the one we're still seeing. And if, if, if you look at the wins he's got in the last, you know, we can go back three years at this point, the wins he's got in the last three years include a guy making his pro debut in Gaetano Perello in Henan Varau, who it seems like just about anybody in their grandmother is beating <laughs> at this point. So, you know, like not a real deep list and he's not fighting that often. So yeah, of course I'm going to go with the guy who's got good body lock takedowns, who, who's just going to fight a smart, safe fight and probably win what might not be the most exciting decision, but a decision nevertheless. Um, and that brings us to our last fight, which is a real interesting one between Jeremiah Wells and the guy known as Blood Diamond. So Jeremiah Wells won his UFC debut over Warley Alves when he knocked him out in the second round back in June. Blood Diamond, 3-0, making his pro debut. He has got a long, extensive kickboxing record, and he, of course, comes from City Kickboxing alongside of the aforementioned Carlos Alberg and Israel Idesanya. My question for you here, Jeremiah Wells, clearly a talented grappler to an extent, but he does get pulled a little bit into slugfest. Do you think he's stupid enough to get pulled into a slugfest with a talented kickboxer? Or do you think this is one where he shoots early and gets the job done there? I think he shoots early, but I'm not convinced he gets the job done, if that makes any sense. I think Jeremiah Wells has a pretty good like regional, if you look at his strength of schedule, fought some pretty good guys coming up before he he made it to the UFC. He has a win over John Manley, Gary Paletto Jr., obviously the Warley Alves in his, in his UFC debut. Um, but, and I do think the line probably gambling wise is juiced up on blood diamond just because the guy's fucking name is blood diamond. And he's from Israel Adesanya's <laughs> gym. I can't blame you, but I'm going with the pro kickboxer with like a lot more combat sports experience from a great camp. Um, we've seen, you know, from that camp, Israel Adesanya can defend the hell out of a takedown against somebody who's not freaking, um, you know, the 205 pound champion. Uh, so I think, I think we're going to see this blood diamond guy defend some takedowns. Jeremiah Wells, I don't think is going to be maybe reckless on the feet like he was against Worley Alves, but I'm not convinced that he has the wrestling to consistently bring it to the map. You know what? I'm going to go with the same exact answer here. I, I think we agreed on all 10 of these fights, but oh, I'm taking shit. blood diamond here, which is crazy because you know, you said you thought the line would be juiced up on him, and, and I actually looked at it ahead of time. He's almost plus 200 right now, which was kind of insane for me uh, because oh. I thought the same thing. I thought, name Blood Diamond, coming from Izzy's camp, nobody's going to bet on – or everybody's going to be betting on him. And it seems like the opposite. It seems like people are in on Jeremiah Wells and not the guy who's 3-0. and hmm. um, And it's worth noting, too, he did train at Colin Oyama's in California for a really long time uh, with some MMA stuff, even before going back to city kickboxing. So he's not just – a city kickboxing born and raised guy. He's done some traveling around, done some MMA training everywhere. So yeah, I, I think he stuffs enough takedowns. I'm taking the talented kickboxer against the guy who, you know, if he does decide to wrestle, could possibly get it done, but I don't think will with the hands. So, you know, we're, we're banking on the fact that somebody doesn't have takedown defense and somebody's going to use that game plan. It's just too many things, especially like you said, if, if I'm a betting man here and I see almost plus 200 next to Blood Diamond, I'm going with that number all day. So, yeah, I'm going to take Blood Diamond here at plus 190. And that does it with all 10 of the prelim fights we gave them to you guys in just right around 20 minutes. We hope you learned a little something about some of these fighters, especially the ones earlier on the card. I want to thank my co-host. You can follow him at Benjamin Abrigo on Twitter. Uh, and, of course, check out his podcast at The Fix Fights Pod and all of his writing, which you can find in the various places on Twitter. Ben, thanks so much for joining me, man. Thank you, man. Always a pleasure.